0: So, I started preaching a message series, gosh, it seems like forever ago. Um, When was that? It was back in November, wasn't it? Like before Thanksgiving, wow. Anyway, um, I started preaching a message series... And we've been calling it The Glorious Church. Now, if you were here last week, we did, I didn't actually preach a part of that message series because we talked about um, and just shared a lot from our trip from Israel and a lot of the lessons and things that we learned there. And, and I think that that was awesome. I, I loved being able to do that. Um, but today, I'm going to conclude, I'm going to finish this message series called The Glorious Church. And I just want to back up a little bit and kind of refresh you on how this all m- maybe sort of uh, rolled out. You know, God's, God really, he spoke to me clearly, and he, he, I was studying and preparing for a message one night. It was a Saturday. It was pretty well ready to go for the next day on Sunday, um, and God came in, and like he does t- at times, uh, he just kind of changed the whole game plan, and uh, he started to open up some things to me about a message around helping to show and teach about what the church, when the church is working the way that she's created to work and functioning the way that Jesus has created her to function, just how incredible and glorious and amazing she is, and how transformational. Uh, In the world, she's intended to be. To, To really look at the church, have hope in the church as the true solution for what the world really needs. Because how many know that this world is really just a preparation time, right? This is finite, this is preparation time for what's eternal. And so, in the preparation time of what's eternal, god 's church his, with his spirit is really the solution and we are really the solution to bring forth the saving message of Jesus Christ and the empowerment that comes with the relationship with him to become all that God has created us to be because we 're all meant to be game changers to, to, to make an impact in this world for God and to, and to help make him known to people that we have the privilege of being in community with and in contact with in our lives and so it was a amazing, you know, God doesn't always work this way or do this with me, but he he literally opened up the word and the scriptures and, and literally almost laid out all four weeks of the messages and the content all within like, I mean, I, I couldn't even hardly write fast enough, it was just kind of like downloading to me, you know, and so the way that it worked out is uh, we've... We, I preached three messages so far about the glorious church. The first one, we talked about how uh, the church is... What did we talk about first? <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. That's bad. Hold on. I know we talked about unified second. Nope, conquering was third. Oh, my gosh. Sorry, guys. It's been a long two days before today. Okay. It's terrible. Anyway. oh, you guys are so nice. Thank you. Anyway. So we talked about the glorious church, and uh, we talked about how she's a conquering church. We talked about how she's a growing church. That's what it was, growing church. Growing church. Talked about how it's a unified church. We talked about how it's a conquering church. So here's what I want to talk to you about today, and I'm so excited about this. You know, many of those things, if you look at them, they all have to do with the context of really our time here on this earth, our time living in this life before we go to be with Jesus in heaven, our eternal life. Growing as a church, staying unified, conquering the enemy in our battles, those are all things that affect here, now, this life that we're in. Today I want to talk to you about, it starts with this part of heaven, but it really is going to help us to gaze into what I would, would refer to as the eternal state of the church. The eternal purpose for the church beyond this life. And it's so important that we take time to teach as the church and as leaders, not only about what Christ has done and what we're doing now, but also about what is yet to come, because there's a great hope in what lies ahead for God's children in eternity, and it is a, it is a glorious hope, and it's one that changes us and drives us and compels us, in my opinion, to live differently when we gaze into the things that we're that are yet to come whenever we are in heaven and we are living in our eternal place. It, it, it's, it's freeing, uh, it's empowering, and it causes us to live differently this side of heaven when we have an understanding of what's going to happen on the other side. Are you with me? And so this is the title of the message today. It's, it's the Bride of Christ. The Bride of Christ. Now, if you look through the scriptures and you read primarily in the New Testament, you'll see that there are many times that Jesus himself, and even in other places, make the comparison or use uh, the language of the groom or the bridegroom and the bride to relate to or to explain Christ's relationship to his church. And it is a very significant uh, language that we need to really dive into and go deep into and really dig to understand. It's not just kind of like a simple metaphor. Like there's incredible symbolism and incredible um, things that we can extract out of What this means when we understand what a relationship between a groom and his bride look like. You know, Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, I believe uh, the Pharisees were talking to him. And they were saying some things like, hey, why do your disciples not fast? A lot of us are fasting, and Jesus says something along the lines of, hey, while the bridegroom is here, there is to be no mourning, but the bridegroom will go away, and then they will fast after that. And so Jesus is referring to himself as the bridegroom, John the Baptist, he even said that you know, I'm not the Christ. This was in John chapter three, and he said that uh, you know that the but I am the one who rejoices when I hear the voice of the bridegroom. I am the friend of the bridegroom, and the bridegroom is coming. He has come, and so there's this whole uh, metaphor of of Jesus being the bridegroom and coming. It's like there's so, some sort of understanding from heaven that was being given so that this language could be provided for us. And there's even a scripture in Isaiah. Chapter 62, verse 5, it's a prophetic scripture, it might be verse 4, and it says something along the lines of, when the bridegroom rejoices to see his bride, so does God, will, will God rejoice at you? And so you see that a, a marriage, a relationship between a groom and his bride is really the most intimate, most passionate Type of relationship that we could probably, that we could possibly try to understand or use as a comparison whenever we're looking at earthly types of relationships. And so think about this for just a second. When you look at the relationship between a bride and her groom, what are some of the things that you see that we can draw analogies or parallels with in the way that the church is to relate to Christ? First of all, there is loyalty, loyalty. When a bride is engaged to her groom, there is a, now a vow, if you will, of loyalty that is made, and that vow is one to where there would be no other who would fight for or who would uh, compete for the heart of that bride. It is taken, it is claimed, it is no one else's from that point on. Are you with me? Listen, when we are... Christs when when we become his after being born again the bible says there shall be no other god before you you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your mind with all your soul do you see the picture of loyalty there god gives us this instruction because he understands if our hearts begin to err and if any type of idol begins to compete for our heart. What are idols? They can be other relationships. Your career could be an idol. There could be all kinds of things in this world that could become idols that could compete for our heart and take the place in our heart that God is truly supposed to have where he gets all of our affection, our passion, and our devotion and then that would compromise our loyalty to him and ultimately that would be harmful for us in our walk and relationship with him so loyalty is a huge one another one is servitude right now a wife let me just open up the bible real quick we're going to read something out of ephesians chapter five to set the tone for this verse 22 i know you ladies are going to love this one (laughs) i'm just reading from the bible i just want to remind you of that okay new king james version i'm just I'm going to teach, but just hang with me, all right? Don't throw anything. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, so this is our command. This is where you know we we have to be the ultimate leader here, just as Christ said, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself. Now, this is Christ in the church here, is what it's talking about, that he might present her to himself a glorious. Church, not having there's see that not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, so listen, we see that a wife she carries her her own calling, and you have to understand and the Bible says this in other places that. We are both husbands and wives. We are, we are all equal before God. Okay, We all have the same place before God in who we are in our identity with Him. Paul's just simply saying, listen, this is a way that relationships work and function. And, and if you want to be... Straight, then if, if the husband is really leading the way that he should be leading, which is sacrificially giving of himself, then he will earn the devotion, the support, and the respect of his wife, who will, who will follow his leadership and trust his leadership to take her and him and their family where God is leading them to go. And she will have a, a significant, her own place in that whole thing, right? But see, the thing, the part that I'm trying to get to is that the, the wife, she is playing a huge part and also to serve the overall vision for the family. And as the wife is fulfilling that, just like that in the relationship with church and with Christ, we are to serve God and give him everything that we have so that our works, our efforts, everything that we're doing are all being done and devoted to him. The Bible says, everything that you do, do it for the glory of God. And so we ought to look at our lives as a service to God that we are living in order to serve and please him, not in order to serve and please ourselves. Are you with me? I think I made it through that one okay. All right. So there's loyalty and there's servitude. We also look at the, uh, 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 an example of a relationship between a groom and his bride, and we see purity, purity. Did you know that in the Jewish wedding process, a wife, um, as she's engaged, she would be going through a process of purifying herself to prepare for that ultimate wedding. She would anoint herself with oils and with fragrances, she would prepare her garments like All of those things, that symbolism to, listen, us, as we are walking with Christ, preparing for what is ahead, we ought to be compelled and convicted to be walking in a way where we are purifying ourselves, sanctifying ourselves. The Bible says that he who has hope in him, Jesus, will purify themselves just as he is pure. And so God is, there's lots of scriptures in the Bible that talk about how as, as we walk with the Lord, it's like he is like a silversmith that is refining us and that he is purging the dross from within us. And dross are the impurities. Well, how many of you know that we have a fleshly body, we have a corrupt Tent, corrupt body that, that, uh, that holds our spirit, which is to be eternal with God. And so as we walk with the Lord, we are all in need of purification, sanctification to, to be holy, but we need God to do that. He purges sin, He purges um, immoral desires and temptations of the flesh. He begins to purge that out of us, right? So we're looking at the relationship again between the bride. And the groom, and we're seeing that as a relationship between the groom, Christ, and the bride, his church. And so we have loyalty, we have servanthood, servitude, we have purity, and then we also see that the groom showers his bride with gifts, showers his bride with gifts. In fact, the best gifts are prepared and reserved for the bride of the groom. He doesn't give any gifts to anyone else, never has, never will. As good and as glorious as those gifts which he is bestowing upon his bride. Well, how many people know that we have incredible gifts from God, right? That he has given us, his church, gifts that we can walk in, that we can function in, so that we can fulfill the calling that's on our lives and that we can make him famous and we can exalt his name in the life that we're living and the way those gifts are flowing and functioning in us. So there's gifts that the bride is showered with. And then the last point I want to make is that the bride is truly the object of the groom's full love and affection. It is all about his bride. Christ. It says right there in those scriptures in Ephesians 5, Love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave himself for her. There can be no other physical act that can be more compelling and more significant than to lay your life down the way Christ did for the church. He sacrificed everything to give of himself to her. We are absolutely, if Christ is in your heart, listen, do you know you are the object of his affection? He is absolutely in love with you in an intimate kind of way that we couldn't even possibly fully grasp with our natural minds. He's not mad at you. He doesn't hate you. Despite what many people think, they get this picture of God like he's just looking down and growling and frowning at them, just disappointed all the time. Listen, our God is a God of love, and he loves his bride with all of his affection and all of his devotion. We are the object. We are the motivation of his love to go to the cross and die for us. Isn't that unbelievable? We are the bride of Christ. Now listen to this. This is absolutely amazing stuff. In the Jewish weddings, there were three phases. Three phases to the wedding. There was the first phase, which was betrothal. That was the engagement period. The second phase was the presentation phase. So that was... Once the wedding ceremonies were about to commence, there would be great celebrations, great festivities, often that would last for up to seven days. Remember when Jesus turned the water into wine? That was at one of those celebrations, okay, on the third day of that celebration. So they still had more days to go because he turned a lot of water into wine, right? So they go, last up to seven days. So there's betrothal, there's the presentation and the festivities, And then there's ultimately the consummation, which is finalizing the marriage and preparing that and and establishing that for that lifetime commitment from then on out. And y'all know what happens to get the consummation phase going, right? Okay, anyway. Um, So anyway, betrothal, presentation, consummation which sets it up for their life together for the rest of it's meant to till death do us part for the rest of this physical life together, right? So let's talk about these it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Let's talk about betrothal. First of all, when a husband, a bride groom, would choose his bride, the bridegroom would come and that family would present a dowry Right? A financial blessing or whatever to the, the bride's family to basically establish that betrothal. What did Christ do for us? He came and he paid, the Bible says, a ransom f- so that he could purchase us, and we are his bride. Think about this. Once you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of you, you are betrothed to Christ. You are a part of his bride. We are all his bride because we are all the church. Isn't that amazing? This to this. So once the betrothal is established, the traditions say that the groom... The bridegroom would then go back to his father's house, and he would begin to prepare a room. They would they would basically build a nice big addition on the side of the house, whatever. That the that the bride, when they got married, would then come to live with the groom. In, All right, some of you know where I'm going with this, right? And that home was always inspected before the wedding ceremony to make sure that that home that the groom prepared for his bride at his father's house was better than the conditions that she was living in already. It had to be much more luxurious. Ladies, don't you love that, right? Had to be better. Well, listen to this. If you don't already know where I'm going, then go ahead and open your Bible to John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. And Jesus says to you, to I, to his church, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Do you get that? The groom goes to prepare a place for his bride that will be way better than the way she's living now. Jesus is saying when he died on the cross and then he ascended back to be with the Father in heaven, he was saying to them while he was still walking on the earth, I am going to leave. I'm going to go But when I go, I'm going to prepare a place for you, my bride. And it will be infinitely better than the best kind of living situation you could ever envision, ever dream of, or imagine on this side of heaven. Isn't that powerful? That's the whole idea of this betrothal, guys. When we are right now, we are in that betrothal phase. The whole time before Jesus comes back actually is like the betrothal phase, for us as the church. Now the next phase that we look at is the presentation, OK? The presentation. The festivities begin. And that is also known as the feast. And at the, end of there, at the end of the festivities, there would be the great feast, which would be like that great supper at the end, right before all the ceremonies concluded and the marriage then would be consummated. Seven days, often, is how long the ceremonies would last. Now, in Jewish tradition, in that ceremony, <laughs> so good. The bridegroom would return back to get or to fetch or to come and claim his bride. And that would be like the announcement that the festivities and the ceremonies would begin. And the bride did not know what the time or what the hour would be when the groom would return, but she had to be ready and prepared and looking for him so that when he came, she knew it was time. Isn't that unbelievable? And so when the groom comes back, he claims his bride, and the festivities begin. Now listen to this. I want to talk to you about... Something that's called the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is this great ceremony that we as the church are to partake in. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. John, if you know this, John gets a vision. While he's on the island of Patmos, he writes the book of Revelation, and it basically gives a vision of all the things that are to come at the end of the age. And it's incredible. Um, Many people interpret certain things differently and debate certain things, so I'll be clear with you about that, you know. Um, there's a lot of parts in Revelation where people have a hard time connecting the sequence of events, the actual time things take place, and, and then there's things that most everybody is, is very confident in too, and I'll try to help you understand that along the way, but there's certain things that you know without question are gonna happen, and the marriage supper and the ceremony absolutely are happen. there's no question about that. So in Revelation chapter 19, verse six, it says, John says, and then I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready." And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true saints of God. This is the supper. This is the ceremony. In fact, this part... Is whenever it's reaching its conclusion. Okay? This is the time right at the end of the seven year, remember seven days of the festivity? Seven year tribulation before Christ comes back on his white horse right before he comes back to, to, to deal with all the ungodly nations of the world John gets a vision and he sees what's happening in heaven and he sees a picture of this marriage supper of the Lamb, Christ and his church that's been happening and been going on and getting ready to come to conclusion before Christ comes back at the end of time and establish his, his, his reign for all of eternity. eternity. Eternity from that point on. And the picture I want you to see is that you and I are the bride of Christ. We are the church, and we are there partaking in this glorious ceremony and festivities that are happening in heaven called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. That is our rightful place that we are going to partake of before the end of days occurs when Christ returns. So you, think you say, well, that's amazing. How did we get there? We'll open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. How do we get there? Because I just gave you a picture. We're already there in the sky and in heaven with God, right? Listen to this. Verse 13 says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Those are, that means they've died. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. And with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. This passage is what many of us refer to as a rapture. Now, the language rapture is not actually found in the Bible. It's a word that we use to describe the catching up into the clouds that we're talking, that we just read about here. So let me just kind of break this down for you. He says the dead in Christ will rise first, okay? If we die on this earth before Christ returns, our physical bodies go into the ground. This is our broken vessel, our our human body, our earthly body. But our spirit then goes to be with the Lord in heaven. That's a whole other teaching for a whole other time, but I will just give you one scripture. It says, absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. Some people believe in something called soul sleep, which means when they die, if they die before Jesus comes back, that their soul just sleeps. I don't believe that. I believe that the spirit goes in to be with Jesus in heaven and that the physical body lays there. But when he said the dead in Christ will rise first, when Jesus does return and commemorates the the ceremony and the festivities are about to begin, we actually, did you know that we receive new heavenly bodies for our spirits when we go to be with God in heaven for eternity? So what it's saying here is that those spirits that are with, heaven, with Jesus in heaven already, their new resurrected bodies, I guess kind of like join them and, and meet with them and they get their new resurrected bodies, that's what it means The dead in Christ will rise first. And then those who are still living on this earth, if it happened now, it says then we are just caught up in the air. So somehow our earthly bodies transform immediately into our heavenly bodies. The point is the whole church, all of those who have already... Already went to be with the Lord, and all those who are still here believing in the Lord are all caught up in the air and there for the beginning of the festivities that start, which is the marriage supper of the lamb that will last for a period of what I believe is seven years, which means that the rapture would happen at the beginning of the tribulation period, and that we would be there in heaven during the time that all of the hell and all of the judgment is being poured out here on this earth during the seven-year tribulation period. It makes the most sense to me because the, the longest wedding festivals were about seven days. And so if we are in the ceremony and the festivities for seven years, then that would put the rapture at the beginning of the seven years. Does that make sense? Some people believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, that it happens in the middle of the tribulation. And, and so there's different views on it. I think that it happens in the beginning for the reasons that I've just gave. That's what seems to make the most sense to me, okay? But it's important to understand there's different views on that. The important thing to understand, though, or to know is that there is a ceremony, there is a marriage supper, and there are festivities that are happening while this whole time, at this point, before the Lord finally returns on his white horse and comes back. So you have betrothal, you have festivities and preparations and celebration, and then you have the final supper and you have the ceremony, uh, you have the final supper and then the consummation, which would establish the, life ter- the lifelong relationship. Now look at this. Back to Revelation chapter 19. And moving ahead a little further from where we just were, where John had the picture of the supper and the ceremony. Verse, no, verse 11. And so he says... And then I saw heaven open, so this is the end of the seven years, and behold a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And listen to this. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp, sharp sword, that with it he would strike the nations. This is the end of days. And we are there Following the Lord on the white horses. We're already there when it's happening, which means we've been in the marriage ceremony and in the marriage supper this time. It says that, and he himself will rule with a rod of iron. We will tread the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. He has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'm not going to read further. You can read this later, but verses 17 through the rest of the chapter talk about how all of the ungodly nations that rally together at Armageddon for the final battle are killed and destroyed, and the birds of the air are filled with the carcasses of the flesh, thing I wanted to show you really in this is that we as the church the bride of Christ do you remember a few verses earlier when it talked about the marriage ceremony and it said that they were clothed in fine linen which are the righteous acts. You see, the the things that we do and that we devote our lives to and the way we serve God and live for him as our purposes are being fulfilled, it's like clothing us with fine linen that we will be wearing. That's in the preparation time and we'll be wearing at the ceremony. And you can see here that those who are clothed in fine linen all the church are coming back on white horses following Christ when the clouds open up and he returns on his white horse. It's unreal. Here's, the, here's the, the final part. Once it is over and they're, ki- they're destroyed, Christ establishes his reign forever. Now, in a marriage, a groom reserves the most honorable place for his bride by his side everything that is his is hers he has created her or he he has prepared a place for her to reign with him to be by his side and to be together forever and that's us isn't that amazing he comes back he ends it and he establishes His reign, and we are His bride. The most honorable place is prepared and reserved for us, and we will be by His side, never away from His presence, for all of eternity reigning with Him. Unbelievable. I think these things are so important for us to pray on and to meditate on and to read the scriptures because This kind of knowledge and this kind of understanding, I don't know about you, but it compels me, it always has since I get dug into these things, compels me to live differently now because right now is the preparation time. Right now is the betrothal time. This is where we are getting ready. We don't know the day and we don't know the hour when our bridegroom will return and call upon us to come and begin the festivities. But when that day comes, trust me, whether it's beginning tribulation, mid-tribulation, we need to be ready. Don't we? And then let me close with this. This is, I think Peter gives us a great picture of how we ought to posture ourselves as we prepare and as we await. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come, let's talk about the end of days, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, skies will be open, trumpet will sound, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all of these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming Of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That, friends, is our eternal home. Isn't that beautiful? Does that just make your soul want to, your spirit just want to leap and jump? You I, we are the bride of Christ. Is that picture a little bit more clear to you now today? Your rightful place. When you read the Bible and you hear it say, cry, Christ say, I'm the bridegroom, or you, you hear it talk about the bride of Christ, I pray that that won't just be some language you pass over anymore. That will be something which your spirit embraces, and there's a faith in you that you understand what that really means for you and for I and the place that God right now is preparing for us. He's already gone to, is fought back to his father's house to prepare a place that will be more glorious than anything we can imagine here on this earth, and he's, he's preparing. I don't know when that day will be, but there's going to be a day when he's going to come back and he's going to fetch his bride, and we're going to be caught up in the air with him if we're still walking in this earth, or we're just going to already be there whenever it happens, if we've already gone on. And I know, Bible said in Revelation 19, he says, "The blessed and fortunate are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb. It's going to be one of those invitations. That you're gonna be glad you got. It's gonna be one of those ceremonies that you are glad you are SVP'd for, and that you punched that card and that you sent it back, and that you know you're gonna be in attendance for. Amen. Stand to your feet with me today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. present to himself a glorious church. You know, it says without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle. Jesus has already made us white as snow when we are born again and we accept him. He cleanses us. He makes us white as snow. He forgives us of our sins. And when we depart from this physical human body, and we get into heaven, our spirit, and our resurrected body, now there will never be any more blemish, any more wrinkle, any more spot. There won't be sin. There won't be pain. There won't be disease. It's done. Once that point happens, once we get to that place, then the perfect eternity sets in, and we reign with Christ in his presence forever. Father, in Jesus' name, God, I'm not even even worthy of any of this, Lord. And I'm just so thankful for you making me your bride. God, I'm just so thankful that you chose us and that you invite us into this kind of relationship with you. I pray that we would all have a deeper understanding today, God, that you would bring revelation into our spirit of all of these things and what this means. And most importantly, God, strengthen us and empower us to prepare now where we are here to prepare and to get ready to purify ourselves, to serve you with all of our heart, to be loyal to you, that there would be no idol that would compete for our heart, God. You would have our full devotion. Help us and strengthen us and empower us, God, as we prepare for that glorious day that we look forward to when it comes. In Jesus' name.